We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome to a special edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. It is Tuesday afternoon. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at IrishBreakdown.com, and I'm joined today by our football analyst, Vince D'Addario. Vince, today we are going to talk about uh, the Notre Dame defense. Yes. We are going to talk about Marcus Freeman and his comments about the Notre Dame defense specifically. So we're going to kind of engage the comments uh, that that he had today, and and dive into those because he has a lot of really interesting things to say, and I'm I'm just I'm very impressed with him every time we hear from him, and just the manner in which the, yes. the, the just the leadership he oozes, and 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 he's a confident guy without coming across as a as a as a confident guy. Yeah. If that makes sense, and I'll explain yeah, what I mean abs- by that. But I yes, but I was gonna before, if you hadn't uh, just real quick if you hadn't yeah. jumped in on that, I was gonna say just what a great interview he is. Yeah. I mean he knows what he wants yeah. and he knows how to get that across. Right. And every time I listen to him, I'm like, yeah, let's go. I, I get, and he's not even trying to get me excited. He just does. So, so before we begin, Vince, I want to talk about, um, loose emoji and, uh, just give it a chance for you to share some of your thoughts. We, we lost Lou this past weekend. Lou passed away. Uh, you and I both had an opportunity to to not only work with Lou, but we've known Lou for a long time. We both view him as a mentor. He lives across the street from us. We live in the yeah. same neighborhood on one side of the street. Lou lives on the neighborhood on the other side of the street. And um, more importantly, we consider him a friend. And look, Vince, we all know how great of a writer Lou was. We've talked on this show how many times we've joked on this show about Lou and his historical knowledge and 
and that's never going to stop. But, you know, I had a chance to write something this weekend and I wanted you to share because what I don't think a lot of people that, that don't know Lou personally, they see his kindness, but there's so much more to him than what right. you saw as a writer. And, and he is genuinely one of the best human beings I have ever met in my entire life. And I know you and I have, have shared some, some tears and some memories this, this weekend, but I want to give you an opportunity to just kind of share with people some of your thoughts of, about Lou and the impact he had on you as a, as a, as a writer and, and more importantly, just as a, as a man. Well, first of all, it's not fair. <laughs> I mean, this, this whole thing, when you called me um, this weekend and you told me, I, I didn't believe you, first of all, I like, I, why are you calling me with this information that's not true? Like it didn't, it, it took me pretty much all weekend to process everything. And, you know, it's the, the whole thing just isn't fair because he's somebody who took care of himself. He ate right. He exercised. He's a good human being. Like people like that aren't supposed to pass at 58. Like that's not, it's not okay to me um, in any way. And, you know, we, we, we've, it's been a weekend of, of sharing memories and stories and, and, and things of that nature. And, and everything that I've read, it's like, yeah, yep, <laughs> that, that was Lou. And, and it was, I didn't get a chance. I, I've been in this business, right, since 2004. And so it's been a long time. And so anybody that's in this business knows who Lou Samoji is, period, end of discussion, right? And so, you know, I knew who he was from afar for a really long time. I could pick him out of a lineup with no problem because everybody knows who Lou is. And when you brought me on to BGI um, a couple of years ago, and I, I remember walking down the street after a, a spring game, I think, or it was an August, or I mean, a, a spring practice or an August practice. I can't remember which. And I had always done all my communication through you to him. And vice versa. We had never actually spoken. And I remember the first time that we talked. Uh, you were there, but we had we we were he and I were talking, and it was like talking to somebody that like an idol, like a like a pro athlete or somebody that you've looked up to for so long. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm really talking to Lou. Like, how is this really happening? Like this is this is it was such a surreal moment for me. And then, of course, I got to know him as a person, and he's one of the nicest humans on the planet. I mean, I can't even – people say that a lot about people who pass away and, and things of that nature, but I would tell Lou to his face that mm -hmm. he was one of the nicest people ever. And he, and, would, he, would, he would be like, no, and he would right. hem and haw, and he would just – Yes, he was, every time. He was so incredibly humble that he yes. – I would literally sometimes say, hey, Lou, stop. Take the compliment. Right, right, because you know, I well, thank him for something he did. I was like, no, it's you, and it's. I'm like, no, no, Lou, take the compliment. Yes, because he was incapable of. It made him uncomfortable. Right, when you said nice things about him. Right, and I and I actually got to know Lou a lot better after you left. Right, you you left BGI to start Irish Breakdown, which was awesome, and everybody understood why it was happening. But then all of a sudden, he and I are doing podcasts together, like overnight. And mm -hmm. when you do a podcast with somebody, you kind of have to have a relationship with them, right? And you know, Lou and I knew each other and things of that nature. But when you start talking to somebody for 45 minutes straight, you get to know them a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I remember expressing to him how nervous I was to do this podcast with him. He's like, Vince, I'm so lucky to do this with you. And I'm like, dude, shut mm -hmm. up, man. Like, 
He meant it. Yes, he did. And he it, meant it. It would like he would call me and tell me how great of a job he thought you were doing and stuff like that. And it just he meant it. It wasn't just him being nice. Yes. He he, he meant it. I mean, yeah. And it just he, mind blowing. Like it doesn't, yeah. I don't know. And and yeah. he helped me along the way. And he would, I mean, he was the best partner to do a podcast with because you could throw him any topic and he could talk for like 20 minutes. And it yes. was awesome i mean you and i the when the three of us were together we were doing that show at one of those restaurants down in culver mm-hmm. and i remember you asking him like who was the third string quarterback in like 1987 <laughs> or something it was some ridiculous 68 there it was yes and he came up with the answer like instantly and then started telling you about him right. and that was one of my favorite stories i did that i've done that a couple times around people <laughs> just to kind of it's kind of like lou was like i would show him off yes like i right. wanted to show him off like just right. how smart he was and and I did that one time with Jordan Wells in the office where I said, hey, let watch this. And I said, hey, Lou, just randomly, who is the you know third string, whatever? And he would just start talking about the kid. And and the thing is, he got so much joy out of Notre Dame. And, and Lou yes. genuinely loved – it wasn't just a job for him. It was a right. way of life. Right. It, Lou genuinely loved – I mean, he went to Holy Cross to get into Notre Dame. You know, he worked throughout his tenure. I mean, his entire tenure there to, to be able to pay for school and – he had a genuine love affair with Notre Dame and everything yes. that Notre Dame was about. And you, it just, it came, it obviously came across in his writing, but just, you know, he would, you, you could get him occasionally, you could kind of get him off subject because Lou was always focused on working, you know, so getting focused. a workout. He was one of the most prolific people I've ever met when it came to producing content, but you could get him distracted. You could find the right topic to get him distracted, to get him to turn the chair around and start talking to you. And, and some, you know, Coach Parsegian was one of those. Ralph Valdeseri was one of those guys. If you, and, and that was one of my highlights was when, when Ralph would walk in with his son and him and Lou would start talking. I'm like, I'm around two legends. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm around two, you know, I'm you around Roger? two. Le- yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Roger and Lou. Yeah. Right. And, you said and, Ralph. That's what oh, I was Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Roger. Uh, yes. And, and it was just, right. it was genuinely one of the coolest things for me. It was like, I'm watching two legends because – yeah. I first was introduced to Lou as a middle school, high school kid. And that was reading Blue and Gold Illustrated. My parents got me Blue and Gold back when it was like that that magazine thing, you know, like that big newspaper type yes. of thing. Right. That was my favorite. You know, I'd get the season previews and I would, you know, what would Lou have to write and what would Tim Priester have to write? I mean, that's that's how I first knew Lou. So, I mean, Lou's been a part of my life, whether he knew it or not, for most of my life. I mean, over half right. my life. Yes. And then to, you know, look, Vince, you and I have coached football. We've played football. We've done a lot of things professionally. You've been a teacher. I can, and I genuinely say this, and, and I'm not saying this just because he passed. Well, I, this is, I truly believe this. Vince, you know that I believe this. Working with Lou Samoji was, was one of the, was probably the biggest professional accomplishment I have. But more importantly, I remember the day that Lou called me to try to talk me into coming to BGI. And it was just like, how do you say no to Lou Samoji? I know, right? <laughs> how, how do you not do that? Because he is such a just a you know. And when I first joined the beat in 2010, I mean, him and Tim Priester were the first people to take me under their wings. Lou was always encouraging. Hey, I read that story you wrote. That was really, really well done. You know, and he just was such a genuine, genuine human being. When my dog, when we had to make the decision to put Brady down, remember that how hard that was for Angela yep. and I, because my <laughs> wife and I don't have kids, and. And our dogs are our kids. And our dog at the time, he had battled cancer for two years. And, and we invested a lot of emotion into that. And 
you know, Lou's a big animal lover too. Sure, yep. and, and he has a dog and a couple cats and he's a big am- animal lover. And one of the cats, I believe they just kind of adopted because it just kept coming over. So Lou <laughs> eventually just brought him in. That's kind of how Lou was. Yeah. Uh huh. And he wrote me this, this heartfelt letter afterwards. And it just was like, I mean, it just, you know, you, you cry with him and, and you just see the kind of person he was and the, you know, and then he was just a, he was an amazing son you know, before his mother passed away, you know, he, he did so much to take care of her. Um, he, he just was a genuinely amazing man and, and we lost him too soon. And it's not fair, you know, Vince, he, uh, he is the epitome of, of what a man is supposed to be, you know, and, and what we're supposed to be as humans and how we're supposed to treat people. And hopefully that, you know, that can, can impact how, we go about our business on a day-to-day basis. Well, he's impacted forward. how we do our business and he's impacted me on how to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And that that's his legacy to me yeah. was his friendship. There's no question about it. And I know that's the same for you. Far um, beyond whatever yes. he did as a writer and as which an was, editor. And which all was immense. Stuff, which was that's tremendous. Thing, which exactly. is tremendous. And people have to understand that as good of a writer and as a good of a, as good of a, as a professional and, and all of those things as he was, his encyclopedic knowledge of Notre Dame football, it, him as a person and him as a man and him as a friend, just, just far outweighs all of yeah. that. And I think that's, if we can get anything across to people that, that is what I want to get across. And uh, there's going to be a hole. There's, there's a hole yeah. and it's, it's not going to be filled um, for a very, no. very long time, if ever. No. And, and um, going to my first Notre Dame game this fall is there's going to be there's going to be a huge hole, and yeah. I, I really hope that Notre Dame does something special. Like he needs his seat in the press box, yeah. forever. You know what I mean? If like there was ever a person to do that with, it yeah. would be. And you know w- the way that Brian Kelly <clears throat> treated Lou was yes. different. Yes, no. And question. I'm not saying that Brian Kelly treats anyone poorly, but you could tell. When Brian Kelly engaged with Lou, there was a level of respect that superseded anything anyone else did. Right. It was obvious. And and it wasn't just the joke about Lou becoming the next next head coach. You could just see he always took greater care to 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 receive Lou's question correctly. Right. And then to give him a a a a good answer. And and that's the kind of thing that, you know, this is a guy that's around some very big time people in his life, mm-hmm. Brian mm-hmm. Kelly, the head coach sure. of Notre Dame. Sure. And to see him react to Lou to Lou the way that he did, well, just shows the kind of again, the kind of impact that Lou just had on everyone around him. You see the and the one thing you'll notice from every single tribute, whether it's me, whether it's Tim Priester, who knew Lou way longer than we did. And right. and and just adored Lou. Um every single tribute, it's the exact it's saying almost the exact same thing. Yes, he was a great writer, but if you only knew the man, you, you, I mean, every single one. And that's when yep. you know that people are being genuine because it's like everyone's almost the same. Right. It's people saying, yeah, Lou was a great writer, but and it's followed by all these things about him as a man that were just saying, you don't even know how tremendous he was and, and right. he will be missed. And, um, and, and but he will never be forgotten. And that is no, the thing. Lou Samoji will always be a part of Notre Dame. And. Yep. And, um, you know, I, you know, we're going to miss them. We're going to we miss are. them. And, and I want to thank all of you. A lot of people have reached out to me asking me how I'm doing. Um, you know, save your prayers for me and, and keep them for Lou's family. You know, Lou's been, was got married within the last year and a half. Uh, a 
adored his wife, Amalia, and, and his family was just, um, they're obviously going through a tough time. And so right. I appreciate so much everyone that's reached out to me to ask how I'm doing, which is kind of like how Lou was, you know, it's right. like right. something could happen to him and he'd want to know if I'm okay. Uh, but, um, you know, keep his family in, in your prayers and, and keep the people at BGI in their, in your, in your prayers, because right. I, I know the kind of impact that Lou has on people. And I know that, that Mike Singer and Patrick Engel and Andrew Mentock and, Stu Coleman and all those people are hurting. Are, are heart hurting right now because, yep. you know, I know what it's like to be around Lou on a daily basis, yep. and and you don't leave that relationship the same, and and you know and you de- you also you depend on him so much. He's so <laughs> important to the heart and soul of of Blue and Gold Illustrated. He is Blue and Gold Illustrated. Blue and Gold, yeah, exactly. And I know all those guys are gonna are fight like crazy to make sure that how they go about their business is honoring him and how they, you know, and, and it's just the only way to do it. So keep those guys in your prayers, because uh, I know they're all hurting right now too. And um, thank you everybody that's reached out and, and shared stories about Lou and and I've had people tell me they're Notre Dame fans because of Lou, and and I can I can sympathize with that. So, uh, Vince, thank you for taking your time to share it, too. Yeah, but, man. but we do want to talk some football today. Yes, because Lou would have it no other way. Lou would have so. it no other way. And, <laughs> so and he would say, football. okay, fine. Yeah, that's fine. You'll talk about, okay, whatever. Let's move on to something else. That's how Lou was, again, because yep. of his humility. So let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame football. And, and, Vince, today we had a chance to – we watched practice number 11, and it was – basically, <laughs> yeah, if I could sum it. it up in one sentence, it was a whole lot of really good stuff from the defense and Lawrence Keys. That's that's kind of like how every practice is from this point on. You know, you just like the last several practices. Oh, Lawrence Keys is making more plays. Yeah, and the offensive line can't get to the line of scrimmage in the run game because of the defense. And um, you know, we saw that today, but we also had a chance to listen to Marcus Freeman talk. And, yes, and, and that's um, the more newsworthy. Uh, we're going to dive I, into I, some of the things that Coach Freeman had to say today because he had some very interesting things to talk about. He talked philosophy. I had a chance to ask him a question that I was very curious about, and I loved his answer to my question. It was what I was hoping he would say. We'll dive into that. And then he also talked about some specific players, Vince, that I think is really important. Um, Players that we've been talking about, by the way, and that we are expecting to be – Or hoping. Or hoping. hoping. That's a good word for it. But but guys that we've talked about being potentially – uh, integral in what right. this team is going to be right. in, in 21 and beyond. To begin, let's talk about what he said philosophically. And, and there were some some interesting comments that he made today, but also stuff that, that really backed up what we had what we kind of wondered, is this what he's going to do? And, and so I, I think that he, I'm going to read a couple quotes from him. Uh, and these are some things that I thought were, were great. Here's a comment he, yeah. he had about being aggressive, and he goes, we want to be aggressive in what we do. I think sometimes giving those guys the opportunity to cut loose and be disruptive is kind of what they're talking about. Uh, and it was a question about, you know, the difference. You know, people want to keep drawing comparisons. And, yeah, right. and, and let's say this real quick as I, before. When we say – when we have – I wrote about this a little bit today in an article about Shane Simon. When we talk about Marcus Freeman and the differences and how he's going to take the defense to the next level – that's not a criticism of Clark Lee. There's Correct. no next level to get to if not for the great job Clark Lee did. Absolutely. And so a lot of times people say, well, you know, Clark Lee was pretty good too. Yeah, okay, yeah, great. great. We understand that. Yes. But now it's about – and Clark Lee, we would be having the same conversations about Clark Lee had he not left. What can he do to get them to the next level? So it's not an, it's not a, it's not a criticism. It's not Clark Lee wasn't good enough. It's just 
Clark Lee and Mike Elko brought the defense out of the dark days of the Brian Van Gorder era no to the point now where Marcus Freeman can take him to that elite level. No okay? doubt. And I do think he's the guy to take him to that elite level. And part of it is because his philosophy is one that I think fits this personnel really, really, really well and fits that next level of how can you do Correct. even better against the bigger team. So he said, we want to be aggressive in what we do. I think sometimes giving those guys the opportunity to cut loose and be disruptive is kind of what they're talking about. It still has to fit within the scheme. I think once they continue to get to know the scheme and know exactly what we're looking for, there's some freedom within there to be a football player. I believe uh, I believe in we're going to play football. I tell them all the time, let's get let's be football players, not football players. That I loved. Uh, sometimes it's not going to be perfect, but if you continue to play with great effort and attitude and you're disruptive, good things will happen. And I think that comment right there is so important. And let's explain why, Vince. Because number one, this notion that that well, there the, he talks a lot. The players, you know, there's more freedom here. People think that means they're just kind of like running around and playing right, street yeah, ball. Right. No, there is definitely Vince to this. There's going to be absolute structure. And when you break down the film, we break down the film, Vince. You see it. There is a method to what they're doing. There Correct. is clearly a structure to what they're doing. But he also understands. At the end of the day, we have to let them fly to the ball because. Offenses are too unstructured to be too structured defensively. And what I mean by that is RPOs. I mean, all the things that teams do offensively, if everything is just see this and, and step here, then you're going to get beat. Because, and I think, because right, what you're saying is, I just want to clarify, please. offenses have options. And the, the options are designed to make you wrong. So if the defense is always doing the same thing and you, they're predictable and they're within a, uh, a certain set of parameters all the time, it's easy pickings for the offense because they can make you wrong. So what Brian is saying and what Marcus Freeman is saying that within the parameters of the defense, they can play ball. They have freedom to do this or this, but it's within the parameters of the defense is that mm -hmm. they, uh, hopefully that yes. that kind of clarifies yes. things. And makes yes, sense. you have to have the freedom to just go. But I think the other part of this, he said, let's play foot, let's be football players, not football players. Yeah, and, I and love if, that. And if there was a criticism of Coach Lee, if there was one at all, and there were very few ones to make because he was excellent, right? Yes. That is it, right? And he's not making a criticism of Clark Lee. Marcus right. Freeman has bent over backwards, and he did it again today to talk about how good of a job his predecessors did. And sure. from the people I've talked to, he believes that. And that's part of the reason he took this job. Right. Is because of the foundation that the they foundation laid. was there. Exactly. Correct. He can take it to that next level because of that. This is my criticism of Clark Lee, not Marcus Freeman's. And I don't want to take his comment and for people to think that he was being critical of, of, right. of Clark Lee, because he's making a general football comment because if you were to talk to Marcus Freeman six, seven years ago, he would not have made this comment because the game hadn't really taken off the way that it has now. This is an adaptation adaptation to the modern game. And what that means is, is so in old school defense, Vince, for a very long time, you know this, the, the, as a defensive player, you were taught you were fitting in one way. So mm -hmm. if you were fitting with the nose tackle, he was taking the A gap. You had to take the B gap. Or if you were going to allow a little bit of freedom, it was, okay, whatever gap he takes, you got you to gotta make him right and go to the opposite one. And we see that with safeties. Hey, if the linebacker fits in this gap, you got to make him right and fit in the other gap. There was a very clear gap control structure sure. to what you do. But as you were saying, Vince, 
the modern offensive game means if you do that, you're going to be good against the teams that are better that you're significantly better than. But right. when you play teams with equal talent, they're going to beat you. They're going to because you. you're too. You're too set in that that thing. So instead of saying, "Hey, fit ball, this is your responsibility," at some point in time, you got to be able to say, "Hey, I got great athletes. I got to let them go make some plays." Right. And that's the difference between yep. the way it was, which is Clark Lee was very. This is exactly what we're going to do, right. and everybody's working together as one. Now it's there's something to that, but at, at some point, Vince, he says, "There is yeah. there has to be a C ball." get ball mentality yeah you got to let your players play and Mm -hmm. uh, the defenses that i've been around that are the best are the guys that play under control of course but they play like their hair is on fire they i mean like you said see ball get ball like it doesn't get it doesn't Mm -hmm. get any more you know limited than that it's like hey there's the ball i'm going to get it i'm going to make you wrong and if i make a mistake i'm making it 100 miles an hour right so a lot of coach we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Speak there, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's the best defense out there. Not guys that are going to, you know, have paralysis by analysis, right? You, you don't mm-hmm. want to put too much on the plate of a defensive player because they're not going to make plays. And, and what Notre Dame has in spades is athletes. They right. have guys that can make plays in space. They have athletes that can do things. And Marcus Freeman is allowing them to do things within mm-hmm. the scope of his defense. And that that's what's excited. And that's what we've seen in these three-minute clips. It's just the defense flying all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they are everywhere. You see white shirts everywhere when we get to see 11 on 11. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. It, it's really exciting. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. And I think sometimes when we talk about the notion of simplicity, it can come across as, well, it, there's not a lot of depth to it. It's just your, no, that's not it. That's there not is it a sound structure to what they're doing. Right. There is, there is, um, a, 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 there's a lot behind this mentality. And that's sure. what he said there that is so important. He says, 
it has to fit in with the scheme. I think once they continue to get to know the scheme and know exactly what we're looking for, there's some freedom within there to be a football player. So right. it begins with the foundation where what you can't do is just, okay, you see the receiver, you think it's reversed, and so eight guys are running towards that guy, and then they're running off tackle the other way. There has to be discipline within it. But what we saw at times the last couple of years is we'd see things where the line, linebackers would crash a gap and the running back would just kind of run right by them because mm-hmm. they were just focused on, you know, hitting that gap and, and, and getting to the gap and make sure it was gap control where it wasn't right. as much about get to the ball. I mean, right. there was that, but like you'd see that would have a mistake that we would see is, you know, hey, you're hitting that gap and you don't even see the running back running right by you. Right. This mentality is you're still going to have to attack a gap or, or make a decision. But then it's like, but it's got to be more ball focused. Correct. And, and I think here's another thing that ties into this, Vince. He had some comments about the defensive line, and he talked about how they're a defensive line-driven program. I loved hearing that because they weren't at Cincinnati. Let, let's be honest, they weren't. To a degree in the pass rush, the, they had some really good edge players, but their D-line was used to protect their linebackers because right. – um, they, they weren't as good up front as Notre Dame is, but they sure. still were very productive up front on the defensive line because of how he used them to attack. He talked about how they're a defensive line-driven program, and he said this. He said, that means as our defensive line goes, our defense goes. And then he went on to praise the D-line and the job Mike, El- Mike Elston has done, and, and he has. But that's the other part of this too, Vince, is by being more aggressive with your front. And Clark Lee was not super aggressive with his front, which isn't good or bad. It's just different. It worked for Notre Dame. But he understands. Yeah, he understands when he comes to Notre Dame what the strength of this team is. Right. Using that. He's not he's not doing the whole what square pegs and round holes. Like he realizes where's the strength. Yeah, where Coach Lee's philosophy was not so much let the D line make a million plays. It just wasn't his philosophy. And that's not good or bad. It's just different. It, it just there's different ways to be great um and that's that's not that's one of them marcus freeman's philosophy to be great is just different and i think that's gonna fit this group of personnel a lot better and i think what clark lee wanted to do fit what they had in the past but now that you have jason adamiola taking over riley mills isaiah foskey guys like that now you can be more of a playmaker because of the recruiting that mike elson has done and that too fits into that second level freedom right if your defense is attacking with if your defensive line is attacking that frees up your linebackers to have more you know kind of room to fly to the ball right as as opposed to the the previous defense there's a little bit more read and react than than this defense will have and again both work. Both right, are great. Sure. It's just this one is more, I would say, my personal preference of what I would like to see on defense. So, again, what Clark Lee did was great. Sure. Part of my excitement about Marcus Freeman is just because it fits more of what I like personally. Yeah, no, I get that. And that's where some of that ex- excitement comes from. I had to put Tommy's comment up there. I'll put it back up there real quick because the, the KISS method is when I first started teaching many moons ago, that was that was one of the uh, – mm-hmm. The philosophies, right? I mean, and and of course, we don't want to use the term stupid anymore and blah, blah, blah. But that's what it is. You keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You get kids to understand what you want to do. And they're allowed to then uh, be that much more successful. Right. And, and if you right. keep it simple, 
you know, you can then move forward right. and, and do things that that you want to do. And so I, I love that method personally. I, I think I think you can get a lot more out of your players, out of your students, however you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping it simple. Don't overcomplicate yeah. things. It's not necessary. Yeah. The last thing he talked about philosophically, and this was in response to a question that I asked him, and, and my question was this, and I loved how he answered it because I, I ask a lot of try to be technical questions because that's I'm just who I am. I'm a coach, you know. Yeah, right. And I often feel like those questions, well, some do. Not the coaches at Notre Dame more often than not. And I get it. It's just, you know, but so far I've asked him two philosophical questions and he answered them both perfectly. And my question today was so he talks a lot about being multiple. Okay. So they're going to be three down one front, four down the next, maybe two, maybe five. I mean, always be multiple. But the question was within that multiplicity, do you want to have multiplicity within between from a personnel standpoint? Meaning, so if you're in your four down personnel, are you going to be multiple within that? So three down one, four down. And then do you also prefer, do you want to, or, or do you want to have multiplicity coming from your sub packages? So in the NFL, you see a lot of multiplicity coming from sub packages in certain teams. So, you know, we're going to do this out of our four down defensive front. Then we're going to sub a defensive lineman out, bringing a linebacker, bringing a nickel, something like that. And then we'll multiple that way. Or is it a combination of both? And, and his answer was great. I'm going to read that. He goes, our whole philosophy is front multiplicity coverage consistency. So important. Within each package, four defensive linemen, three defensive linemen, we still have to be multiple up front. So what he's saying there is no matter what personnel grouping you're in, you have to be multiple with how you line up within that personnel grouping. Otherwise, teams will get tells about what you want to do out of those packages. Because we want to continue to be multiple in the fronts, multiple in the movements up front, multiple in ways we blitz linebackers to create four and five man fronts. What he means there is, as you and I have talked about in the past, If they're in a three down front, there's always going to be a fourth guy inserting somewhere, whether it's a linebacker crashing in the middle, whether it's someone coming off the edge. We've seen a ton of corner fires this spring. Yeah. Saw Ryan Barnes blow up a run today off a corner fire. So that's what he means by that. Back to this comment. We still have to have consistency in the way we play our coverages. I don't want to have, I don't want to have to own to do to only do it by personnel. I want to do it with in each personnel and be multiple in our multiple fronts pressure packages, but then still have a lot of consistency in the way we cover and the different coverages we do play. Vince, that is so important. Can you explain why it's so important to, 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 to be able to, you want to be multiple and throw a lot of different things Absolutely. at teams, but you can't, but it can be real dangerous right. that's, that's to what do that is. on the back end. Because uh, you have to be consistent on the back end. A lot of times coaches will get bogged down in what they're doing up front and they'll kind of forget about what's happening in the back and that that's a huge problem right because you know teams will just go right over the top of you and take advantage of all the movement and the shifting and the different fronts and things like that so you have to be consistent from front to back and the back is so incredibly important because if you don't pay attention to the back like i said then then people are gonna they're gonna hammer you and, mm-hmm. and guys are gonna get lost. And that's when you see guys running wide open down the field because things have gotten lost right. in translation and in, in the, the the subbing and all or of that. You can be too multiple. So you run these coverages here and you run those coverages, and, and there can be a lot of different just confusing. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I like about him is it doesn't mean you're just gonna know what they're in coverage-wise every time, but they're gonna be confident with it. And that's so important. But that's also why you play a lot of man. And he played a lot of man at Cincinnati. 
Right. And that fits this to me because if, if you're more aggressive with your fronts and then you're more aggressive with your coverages, but also simplified a bit in your coverages, then what you've done is you've taken away a lot of the blitz beaters that teams like to do, sure. which are the quick game, the, the screens. Right. Now the screens can still be vulnerable, but the way that they play and the way that he uses the safeties, that three safety look, whether it's a rover linebacker or a rover safety, it's still sort of a three safety look because he's out of the box all the time. Correct. It can make it if you if you have a smart defense, and one of the things he kept talking about today was how smart guys are, uh, you're going to play those things effectively. And his defense at Cincinnati played screens really effectively, mm-hmm. even though that is that can be a vulnerability of a man defense. You did not see that at Cincinnati that often. And I think that's the thing I like, Vince, is simplicity on the back end, which means you better have dudes. Yeah. That's the key. You no doubt. have dudes. Because he's going to put guys on islands. Right. And that's – Because one yeah. of the things that Clark Lee did a brilliant job of this year was protecting the secondary. Absolutely correct. And and, and with their coverages – the, because he had to mix things up because they weren't good enough at most positions outside of maybe one to just line up and say we're going to we're going to play you as right. aggressively as Marcus Freeman played. Good coaches his can secondary. do that. They can right. they can and, mask weaknesses. He, he did that. And look, when yeah. you play Clemson a second time with Trevor Lawrence, it you, it's hard to mask it's, that for absolutely. 60 minutes. And yeah, same sure. thing against Alabama. So, to me that is important, but you got to have dudes. Yeah. And that's going to be a perfect and segue. I was going to say he's been talking about some of the guys perfect he thinks segue. are dudes, which is great. So we've heard a lot about Cam Hart, which has made you do backflips. But he was asked today about Tariq Bracey. Yeah. Which you and I talked about, about this. Well, yeah. a lot of people have just written him off. Which is and, a problem. That's unfortunate. But, yeah. I, I talked You and I talked about him before the spring saying he mm-hmm. was the key to the secondary. Correct. And not in a beat out Clarence Lewis and put Clarence Lewis on the bench standpoint, but more of a he brings a skill set that no one else on the roster has. And they're trying to fix. That's why you know they recruited Jaden Mickey. That's where they're trying to recruit Kamar Rogers. That's why they're trying to recruit Ben Morrison. So why they're trying to recruit J- Jair Brown is they're looking for guys that can just flat out cover. Tariq Bracy can flat out cover when his head is his, his straight. And and that is that is a very important key. Look, and what, one of the people on the team that could benefit, I, I should say, Marcus Freeman coming in. At the perfect time for a couple guys, but specifically Tariq Bracey. In the secondary, yeah. In the sec- you know linebacker I mean? Shane Simon. I wrote about that today, but in yes. the secondary, That's I said, there's other guys. Is, yes, because yes. this system fits what Tariq does best, which is just go flip and cover that guy. Right. And, you and know? Marcus Freeman made a point of saying, look, I don't care what happened before I got here. I'm mm-hmm. going to start evaluating the second that I walk in the door. Which Tariq needed to hear that. He needed I mean, to hear that. You That's could correct. not have had a better message for Tariq Bracey. Right. But you know the biggest thing that I heard that he talked about today, Vince, which for me, he talked about how Tariq Bracey's been their their most. He, he talked about how he's had a heck of a spring was his exact phrase. But he kept so all he used practices. the word multiple yeah. times. He used the word consistency. And there's if you were to say, Brian, when when the coaches get interviewed about Tariq Bracey at the end of spring, what are you hoping that the, what's the word you hope they use? And that was it. That yeah. right there, because we've seen this with Tariq. If you don't think Tariq Bracey's a big time corner, I would encourage you to go watch three games. Number one, go watch the Georgia game from 2019. Okay. I want you to go watch his freshman year. Go watch when he replaced Dante Vaughn in the second half of the pit game, and then go watch the Florida State game. 
that same year. Tariq Bracey, when his head is on straight and his right. technique is right, is outstanding. Now, the yep. problem that Tariq had is he got thrown to the fire a little bit too early. Remember, Tariq was more of a running back in high school. At corner, he just went and covered people because he was right. an elite athlete. Right. He played in the same league as Najee Harris, and he was dominant. But he was raw. Physically, he was undersized. He was like 165 pounds when he showed up. But technique-wise, he had a lot of learning to do. But he was so athletic and talented that they kind of had to throw him into the mix, and that created a lot of up and down. Well, then last year he had he got sick twice, and and I and one of them for sure was not COVID related. That impact because remember he missed two games. He missed the Pitt game and he missed the South Florida game. Right. You don't miss two games like that because of COVID. This was a different. His situation was completely different from the COVID stuff that was going on. That impacted him. He was not able sure. to be on the field consistently, and his play. Despite, I thought, playing really well against Duke, I think he had like three pass breakups, which came a year after he led the defense in pass breakups. But then it's like he just kind of faltered. And then after the North Carolina game, it just he was not the same guy anymore. Right. So to me, to see that word consistency being used for Tariq Brace events probably was about the happiest I could have been coming Absolutely. out of today's press conference. Because it and, seemed genuine. It, was, yes. it didn't seem like forced. It seemed like a very genuine comment, like, dude, that he's been our and he said this, he's been our most consistent cornerback. And and I don't feel like Marcus Freeman is going to pump us full of smoke. Like I don't I don't see him pumping up. If a he kid. is, he's really good at it. I was gonna it doesn't say, come across that right. way. That's exactly right. I don't see him giving false praise on, on a player. I just don't. He would he would change the subject or he would talk about a different player or He's very skillful in what he says and the way he mm -hmm. says it. And, and it, we probably wouldn't think anything of it. But I tell you what, we would not – you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he wouldn't go into detail about how good he is and how consistent he's been if that wasn't the case. And I, mm -hmm. and I feel very good about that fact. Yes, absolutely. Real quick, Patrick, thank you so much. Um, we're going to keep doing it. And absolutely, uh, rest in peace to to our guy, Lou Samoji. No doubt. Um, so that was very important, Vince. He also had some comments. He talked about the safety position. He talked about, um, two guys that he mentioned that you could just kind of see him, his body language kind of, he showed some excitement about, uh, one was Houston Griffith. Yeah. There's a lot of praise for Houston. Yes, it was. And I was happy to hear him. He like, he jumped in and was like, KJ Wallace is having a great spring. That's another he, guy that we brought up him. before the spring. He added him without anybody asking about Correct. him. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That was important because yes. the, the depth at the depth. position is a big question mark. And, and, and KJ is a guy that I've always liked. He came as a corner. He's still learning safety. So to hear him kind of be fired up about KJ is important because now you have a potential for a third, a three safety look where DJ Brown's a really good rotation guy, but DJ's not a guy you want covering people a whole lot. KJ can be that guy. And again, he came to Notre Dame as a corner. So that was a big one for me was to hear that. Uh, he talked about Kyle Hamilton coaching up the young safeties. This is something you had talked a lot about before the season when we found out Kyle wasn't going to play, Vince, which is right. him not practicing could end up being a really good thing for him because of what it can do mentally. Well, and, it, and again, it, it can also help the depth because mm -hmm. other guys are going to get more reps where – Look, I'm not worried about Kyle Hamilton not getting reps because he's going to be fine. Now, getting the reassurance from Marcus Freeman that he's doing what he's doing off the field. You know, he's a film junkie. He stands next to Coach O'Leary all the time, you know, trying to understand everything. And, and, and 
what he's the, the mental reps that he's putting in. Of course, that's great to hear. I assume that that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but him not being in then allows the depth to get better because that mm-hmm. was the big worry at safety. And without your starting all American safety in there, that's going to give other guys an opportunity mm-hmm. to get the on the field reps because right. look, mental reps are important. But you can't replace on the field reps, right? Yeah. And again, not worried about the All Americans on the field reps. He's good. I'm worried about the rest of them. And now right. that they're getting those reps, and what I'm hearing, and he also, uh, you know, called out uh, Coach O'Leary in a good way, mm-hmm. saying, you know, how well he's doing and how, you know, he doesn't have his best player on the field, and yet he's still right. excelling and he's he's getting these young guys together. Which those again can be good for O'Leary too, Vince, because sometimes Absolutely. when you have a stud like Kyle Hamilton, you kind of you get a little false sense of security. For sure. When yeah. when you have a yeah, yeah, like yeah. absolutely real absolutely. quick. So Vince, we have about 15 minutes left of you being here before yes. you have to go. So we're going to stick to this coach Freeman stuff, but at the end of it, when you leave at around two 15, we're going to yes. talk a little recruiting because the, there is some Beautiful. recruiting news that is broken. A yeah, couple things of recruiting. So we will get to your recruiting stuff. We're not ignoring y'all. We will get to that after <laughs> we, uh, we do this, but another guy Vince that we have seen flash in just about every video breakdown uh, and and we got to hear Marcus Freeman talk about him today. Is Jordan Patelho? Oh, that kid! Yeah, yeah. Now and we knew the, it. Yes. We knew well, it, it was just it. about you can it. you get the head? Can you keep your head on straight? That yeah. was a big thing about Jordan. But here's the thing: the interesting thing about about him is if you're someone trying to be multiple from the same personnel grouping, I don't know if you have a better player than Jordan Patelho. And the reason for that is is he is a viper. But I said. When Notre Dame signed him, I felt I didn't say I say I felt I might have said it, but I felt that this is a kid that could play middle linebacker for sure. He's he's got the he's six two, he's two thirty five, two forty. He's instinctive. He played a lot of inside linebacker and, and off ball linebacker in high school. So this is a this transition. This he might be the one defensive line, the defensive end who could benefit the most from Marcus Freeman because you have that flexibility. But here's the other thing: it does it gives you an opportunity, Vince to play him and Isaiah Foskey together. Yeah. And I think that's very important. So Jordan Patelho having sort I mean, you could just see at times when how, you know, a coach is being genuine, not just giving you platitudes is, is you try to read the body language, the energy, you know, is maybe his eyeballs get a little bigger or he kind of perks up on his chair. He did that a little bit with Tariq Bracey. He did that with, with, you know, with, with other guys, but you could see it with Jordan Patelho as well, Vince, mm-hmm. in that, there's some excitement about what they could do with him if he continues to, to come along. And then, of course, later he had some great things to say about Isaiah Foskey. He was told that he was going to be your next first-round pick, which he has the talent. Sure. You could just see him kind of getting fired up when he was talking about those two guys, Vince. No, there's no question. And and the, the snippets that we get to see, Jordan Patelho has been all over the field. Yeah. And the one where the one where Chris Tyree's running down the sideline, and that was from today's video – was hilarious. I'm sorry. I found that to be funny. I offensive coaches hate it, and I'm generally an offensive coach. Uh, they were they were playing, you know, the running back. It, it was eleven on eleven. They weren't taking anybody to the ground, and so you which know, you, def- you don't you don't tackle every single day, especially Correct. in the spring. And so the defense is supposed to tap the the running back, and the running back just keeps going. And so Chris Tyree made it to the uh, to the sideline, and three defenders all tapped him out, and he kept running because he's supposed to. And Jordan Badelho. By the way, coming from the opposite side of the defense, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. uh, comes across the formation, takes a nice pursuit angle, and just levels. Bumps him. 
<laughs> he bumps Gives him. him a bump. And uh, little Chris Tyree went flying head over heels yeah. out of bounds. Now, it was nothing malicious. Chris Tyree ain't that little. That. That's the thing. I well, mean, that, that's, that's a good that, point. That's the thing about it is, I mean, he <laughs> just kind of has great. that. You're like, yep. But that's the kind of thing from, from a defensive guy. You're like, okay, you know, let's be careful about you're our like, running hey, back. You yell at him, hey, you know, um, right. stay up. Don't hit, but right. then on the inside, you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to unleash this guy exactly. on teams with opposite colors. Yes. You know, I mean, that's the thing. That's what and, I'm talking about. Him with Isaiah Foskey, with Jason right. Adamiolo. Somebody just asked about Riley Mills. He did not bring up Riley Mills, but Mark, but Mike Elson talked a lot about Riley Mills when he when met he with on, us yeah. this weekend. It, there's just there's a lot of versatile weapons. Justin Adamiola is a guy that's playing all over the field right now in some nickel packages. They're lining him up over the center. They're lining him up off the edge. They're lining him off the, off the ball. You can, you can just see that they have a lot of players that they're moving around. Yes. But more importantly, they have guys that are capable of being moved around. Right. That's the key. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what we're seeing. And, and to me, Patelho and Foskey give you a lot of flexibility sure. because you can drop either one of those guys. Well, really. not just that, Vince, but you can use them together more. Right. And, and that's what I'd like. I like. I thought that that's something they should have done more, to be honest with you. Yeah. They should have done more with Dalen Hayes and Julian Aguaro. Because I felt Dalen's unique versatility that he could have played linebacker too should have sure. given you, as opposed to just third down packages. There was, there was instances where you should have used those two guys together, and they never did. Yeah, I think Marcus Freeman's going to do that with these two guys. They bring a lot of, a lot of versatility, a lot of flexibility to the table, and, and that to me, Vince, with those two guys is interesting. Uh, gives you a lot of. Uh, and then you think about the guys you have up the middle that can attack. Right, right. Uh, uh, Adam Yola, Riley Mills, those kind of guys. Uh, you know, Myron Tungvaloa is a guy that they've talked about. Brian Kelly talked about this in his press conference, I believe, on Saturday. And again, I've, I think I've come to read Brian Kelly pretty good over the years. I know when he's just giving us content because look, his job and sometimes is look, there's nothing new from when I talked to you two days ago. So let me right. just say some things to give you guys something right. to write about. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's appreciated sure. to, a, to a degree. But then there's times when, you know, I, I think I can read him to say, yeah, he's being pretty fired up about that. And he was being genuine when he talked about how Myron Tungvaloa um, has surprised him with how mm -hmm. well he's taken to end. Which we thought could be true, but for a football coach, it's like you see a guy. It's easy for us to say that from our couches because if it's of wrong, course. we're not getting fired, right? right? <laughs> um, where with Coach Kelly, if he does things and it doesn't work out, you know his his job's on the line. That's just how coaching is. And so he was pleasantly surprised. And Marcus Freeman talked about that he's a great run defender, but that he's really coming on as a pass rusher. Right. If he can start giving you pass rushing production off the edge. That's just another weapon. And yep. he also mentioned today, Vince, which I found interesting, is, is something that, that you've talked about in the past. And he talked about the potential for them to have Bo Bauer and Drew White on the field I love together. that. I, and I love that possibility. And that what that tells me is both of those guys are battling. And well, the coach Drew's out, right? Well, so he's right. been injured. But, 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 but that they says know a lot about what Bo has been doing this exactly. spring. Exactly. Because when, you, when a guy's injured who's a returning starter, you're like, okay, we know this what this guy can do. And Bob Bauer's taking advantage of that opportunity, and, mm -hmm. and and they're like they're saying, look, we can't keep this guy off the field. We've got to find 
a role for him. And if that happens to be at the same time as Drew White, then so be it. So mm-hmm. I love that. I, I'm, you know, I'm a huge Bo Bauer fan. I, mm-hmm. I have not uh, hid my, my man crush for Bo Bauer. Um, and so I'm excited to see that because I would love to see him translate his excitement and his, his playmaking ability from the special teams to the actual defense itself. And he made some plays on the defense last year. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong because he, I think he was in the nickel package, the dime package, one of the two. Yeah. Um, he was, but, in the, well, it's the same thing. They called their nickel, their dime. Right. I mean, but, there, there really was no nickel package, but just giving him the opportunity to play all three downs. Um, I, I think is really going to be something special yeah. at the linebacker position. And we're seeing him in the backfield consistently. A lot. Not just lined up. You know, today we saw a play where he was lined up over the over in the A-gap, I believe, and just blitz and got in the backfield. A couple times I'll say this about the running backs. Chris Tyree and Sebo both had really good blitz, blitz pickups today. And, and I would imagine they're getting good at that because of the practice. <laughs> I would imagine they are. <laughs> they're getting at it because – I mean, they're just constantly in the backfield. And then there's another play where, where Bo just blows up from depth. You could tell he came from depth and just blew up a, a run to to Chris Tyree. And we're just seeing great timing on the blitzes in the team, which the Notre Dame offensive staff is going to have to sit and think about, like, hey, maybe we're a little too predictable with our cadence because our defense just seems to yeah, you know, be ripping through us. But, man, they're just in the backfield consistently. We've seen corners get into the backfield. We're seeing vipers. We're seeing big ends. We're seeing defensive. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter who's on the field. They're, they're attacking. And it's fun. They are absolutely aggressive and attacking. And and yeah, there's some concern about that from an offensive line standpoint. But man, you gotta you gotta feel like boy, this defense just has waves of people you can throw, you can throw at teams. Yes, and and, that's what's gonna make them so good. And that ties us back to that original comment, Vince, which is when when you have a defense that's built so much around being versatile, you don't have to you don't have to have multiple personnel to be versatile and be multiple if you have versatile players. Right. Having said that, if you can, if the, if that exists and you have the ability to be, be multiple, but then you have all these different players that you can just throw at people. It's, it's the, it's like what we've talked about, like with running backs. Well, you know, you have these two backs that, that bring two different skills, use them both, Absolutely. use them together. Absolutely. And it's the same thing applies on defense. So right. if you have these these unique players on defense, you know, one series, maybe you have Shane Simon and Maris Lufau on the field together. The next right. series, you have Drew and Boa together. The next series, you have one of those two Mikes and one of the two Wills. The next series, you have Jordan Patelho at linebacker with Isaiah Foskey on the field. How do you prepare for that when you're the other team, When especially when, and here's the key, those guys are all really talented. Yeah, right. right. It's that's yeah, that's key, right? You can throw a lot of looks, but if I'm a if I'm a team and I'm like, yeah, our players are better than yours, so I don't care really who you throw on the field, we're still gonna shred you. That's not the case, like, oh great, now we gotta deal with that guy. Well, now we gotta right. deal with that guy, and now we gotta deal with that guy. It's the same premise we talked about receiver on offense and you know, using your tight ends. And that's what I like about what Marcus Freeman has brought to this defense events is because he's got I got all these cool toys to play with. Exactly. And I'm gonna be a selfish kid and I'm gonna play with all of them. <laughs> you know, like that's what you want. Oh, that's great. And, yes, absolutely. And, um, I think that's kind of what gets me excited. And you know, this question we got from from Michael Johnson, you know, how good can the, the this defense be this year? And really? I mean, it, it's it's really early yet, and we gotta see some guys develop and those kind of things, Michael. But uh, look, I've been fired up about this defense since the yep. day that Marcus Freeman got hired me because too. I love what Clark Lee did, but I just felt like it was to take that next step. You just needed a a, a different, a, a change, a little bit of a change. I felt some of the players that weren't progressing the way they should 
are better fits for what Marcus Freeman wants to do. And that's not a knock on Clark Lee because some guys are going to be, you know, may not have may not be as good under Marcus Freeman as they would have been under Clark Lee. But when I look at Houston Griffith, when I look at Shane Simon, when I look at Jordan Patelho, Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamiola, Riley Mills, Tariq Bracey, I see a lot of really talented players that are better suited for this defense than they were the other one. And and again, not a knock on Clark Lee. Well, and I I think, how do I want to say this? Um, I I think the arrow is pointed in the right direction for the defense. I think that Marcus Freeman is saying all the right things, which is great. I think that what we've been able to see from the defense is what we want to see from the defense. Now, I will caution people that, even though we're seeing the defense in the backfield and doing all those things, partly is that's because the offensive line isn't where it needs to be yet. That's right. And that's expected. I mean, we expect it to be that way. So um, I, I still am excited about the defense, even yeah. with that caveat in place, right? But I think this I, can I be a top 10 defense. That as well. Yeah, I, I think this can be a top 10 defense. Yes, There's no absolutely. doubt in my mind. And I'm not just talking about top 10 in points and yards because um, your schedule can dictate a lot of that. Sure. It's I expect this to be a defense where you're like this this defense can carry this football team. And to to even more to a degree than we've seen in the past, because I think all the things we're talking about, if those things are as effective as you and I think they're gonna be, the 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 obvious ramifications are gonna be more turnovers. Right. Exactly. It's gonna be more I mean, look, I I in a, in an article I wrote uh Sunday, Monday, Monday. I talked about how the defensive line is going to look a lot different this year and just how they're used. And if you go back and look at Cincinnati's defense, despite the Mm -hmm. fact they were being based out of a three-down look, they had more tackles for loss than the Notre Dame defensive line in 19 and 18. The year that they had Jerry Tillery, Khalid Kareem, and Julian Aguara all with 10-plus tackles for loss, the Cincinnati three-down defense combined for – defensive line combined for more tackles for loss. They had more sacks than the Notre Dame defensive line in 2019 and uh, fewer, just slightly fewer in 2018 with that defense. So, And that was with a huge, huge difference in talent between the two teams. Huge difference. Yeah. And so, you know, where Clark Lee was throwing out NFL players every day and and Marcus Freeman is not. I mean, he maybe has one defensive lineman that's, you know, to me is a legit day one, day two pick, and that's the Sanders kid who's really good. But Mm -hmm. I'll take Isaiah Foskey. You know, I'll see your Sanders and raise you an Isaiah Foskey and a Jordan (laughs) Patelho. Yeah, right. You know, Um, and so those are the, to me, the exciting things is I think this deep, and that sets up more scoring opportunities for your offense. Because let's not pretend like that doesn't factor into being a 40-plus point per game scoring offense too. Here's a great example. I mean, one of the so is my second full my second year of coaching Vince. I, I was part of an offense. We averaged over 40 points per game in the regular season. And then we scored 54 points in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh and we averaged about I'm trying to think back, we averaged about 350 yards of offense per game. That's it. Because our average starting field position was the 48 yard line. Right. Turnover. And we eight. had like six defensive touchdowns that year. And, you know, it, it's th- when you're averaging starting at midfield because of your defense, not just right. forcing turnovers, but also, you know, we would kn- we punt and pin them inside yeah. the 10, and we knew that they were going to be putting from inside the 10. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, when you have that kind of defense, it makes you so much. And we were very good on offense. I mean, our yards per play were high, but 
it was just it, you couldn't beat us. I mean, we were beating teams forty-one to nothing, forty-five to nothing because I mean, they'd get us the ball midfield three of our first four possessions, and before the other team could blink, it's twenty-one to nothing. Right. That and it was because yes, our offense was good, but when you're starting at midfield, you know the the world's your oyster, man. You don't have to worry about your coming out offense. You have to worry about oh, we got to get a first down first because we started from our own five. You come out saying hey, we want to throw a play action bomb on play one. We can do that. Yeah. And that's a big part of it too, and that's where I think this defense could be very exciting. And you know, look, it's it's the highlight clips tell you such a small amount of what what's going on, such a small amount. Mm-hmm. And the reason our excitement is coming, and we're referring to highlight clips, is because it's also combined with things that we're hearing from the coaches, but also the other part of this too, Vince. It's a lot of this is what we're hearing from our sources that we've talked to. So the thing that excites me and and makes me buy the hype, so to speak, is in the past. Just to be honest, I would get different messages about things. So you'd hear Kelly say one thing, and you'd hear Tommy Reese say another thing, and then and then I'd talk to a source and I'd hear a different thing. And then of course the film right. didn't match, you know, what that coaches were saying yeah, it matched right. what over here. Or, you know, defensively, some of the same things. I have not gotten one person, and some of the people I talked to, I mentioned this before, are the reason they talk to me is because they're critical and, and they are people that will share their opinion and they know that I'm someone who will. Be, you know, be objective in my acceptance of it. I have here, I'm hearing the same response over and over and over. It's speed, it's aggressiveness, it's simplification. The kids feel loose, the kids are making a lot of plays, those type of things. And that's to me where you say there's a level of confidence. So, Vince, I know you got sure. a role. Yes, sir. Uh, we will continue. We have a couple questions that we're going to get to. Yeah. Um, Vince, appreciate you being on the show Absolutely. today. Absolutely. And uh, uh, we'll it, be back man. again tomorrow. And, of course, thanks thank you for, for sharing watching. your thoughts about Lou. Yeah, thanks thanks everybody for watching, too. We, we love the interaction. I love reading everybody's comments. I've seen all the comments. I appreciate <laughs> it. I got a former student in there. What's up? And uh, enjoy the rest of Brian and, and the recruiting. Yeah, there it is right there. It's fun. <laughs> so uh, what's going on, man? And uh, so I will see you guys later. And uh, Irish. So I'm going to start with a couple of the questions we got here about the defense, and then we'll finish up some recruiting stuff. So Matt Carter asked, what's your opinion of the Rover position? Is there a certain guy that has that under control or is it still pretty open? Uh, that right now looks to be Jack Kaiser's position. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah Pryor is going to play. I am, I'm sure of that. And I expect Paul Moala to be a factor when we get to the fall too, but everything I'm hearing and then what we're seeing And then what Marcus Freeman talked about today, it sounds like Jack Kaiser has taken hold of that one, and that's going to be his position. However, like all these other positions we're talking about, I think the only person that's not going to come off the field much this year when we get down to it is is going to be Kyle Hamilton. That's about the only guy that's not going to be part of rotation just because there's depth and you want to utilize that depth. And here's the key to that. If in the fourth quarter, your offensive lineman is working on snap number 70 and my middle linebacker is working on snap number 40, who's going to be fresher? So on that key third down run blitz, if my guy's fresher than your guy, more often than not, my guy's going to win that battle. All right, J.J. Goodway, if, free, if Coach Freeman is going to be a gr- very aggressive up front, do you expect more conservative coverage schemes on the back end or will they play more man coverage? So what they did at Cincinnati and what I, I think we're going to see at Notre Dame and what we're seeing from some of the clips is I expect them to be more aggressive. And that's what I like. So there's two ways to look at it to your question. The conservative one is, hey, we're going to attack and blitz, but we'll we'll be willing to give up short throws. And a lot of defenses will call it the no cover zone, right? It's that, it's that line of like kind of five yards on the flats where if they want to bang a quick slide route, if they want to bang, bang a quick hitch, we'll give them that. And then 
we're going to make sure that we eliminate the ability to beat us over top or to be, throw a slant behind the linebackers and then our safeties are in man coverage and one guy misses and it's a touchdown. You're going to give up some big plays at times when you play this kind of aggressive defense, but they're willing to accept that because the the, the theory is the trade-off is going to be we're going to make more plays, a lot more plays. We're going to force more turnovers. We're going to make more tackles for loss. We're going to force more stops, punts, things along those lines, which then allows our offense to, to get going. And so what we've seen in the past from Marcus Freeman, what I'm told they're going to do is, again, as long as the corners continue to hold up there into the bargain, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see more it's not, I wouldn't say aggressive coverages per se, because I don't think man defense is necessarily an, a, an aggressive thing. It's not going to always be like press at the line with no safety help, but it will be a lot of man. It will be a lot of take away the quick throw because the thinking that, and this is what I like about it. If, if I'm going to be aggressive with my front and I'm going to allow teams to get rid of the ball quickly, then I'm negating what my front can do. If you have to take hold the ball to try to beat me deep, and I feel great about my my talent in my front seven, then you're not going to have the time all the time to get that ball off. You're going to rush throws. That means you're going to make mistakes. You're going to throw in completions. You're going to throw interceptions. We're going to be getting off, getting you off the field. And then occasionally maybe you beat us with a big play down the field, but it's not going to be something you do consistently because we're we're good enough in the secondary, but also we're, we're getting your quarterback. And then, look, the, the more quarterback gets hit, a quarterback gets hit, whether it's even when he's getting throws off, the more rushed he's going to get. His internal clock speeds up. And that's when mistakes uh, mistakes can happen. Uh, John Climack, I like the see ball, get ball. There were times when you could see linebackers not overthinking, but also trying to cover for their fellow LB. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of that. Um, there, there was a lot of that. So Michael asked a question about how good we think the defense is. He says, I feel that the defense is better because the young guys played a lot last year, so why can't the offense do the same? That's a good question. Um, certainly a good question. Okay, so let's get to some of this recruiting stuff that has happened. So, since the show started, um, it, it, it was announced that Tyler Morris, who is a slot receiver from Chicago, committed to Michigan. I'm not overly surprised by this. It's kind of funny. Um, we we I don't talk a lot about Tyler Morris. You all know that. I had someone from his high school ask me why I don't talk about Tyler Morris as much, and I you know it held some reasons back. But one of the reasons was I said because I heard he was a lock to Michigan. And the guy just continued to talk more and more about how, oh, no, he's not a lock to Michigan. He's this, he's that, and the other thing. I said, oh, okay, well, we'll see. Well, okay, it's like two weeks later, Tyler Morris commits to Michigan. Now, a couple things about this. Is this a loss? It's it's a loss because they don't have anybody else in the class at that position yet. So that is certainly a loss. It's also a loss from the standpoint of uh, – from the standpoint of, of – and Jason talked about this earlier, so I'm going to bring up his comment because this is what Jason said. You can't let Michigan beat you for top skill players every year in Chicago, and that's where I'm at. Like, look, I don't think Ty, I don't think that Tyler Morris is a, is a, is a great player. I think he's a good receiver. I think that – but he's a guy that Notre Dame wanted. I mean, I, he's a guy that they've been telling people they like more than other players that I just – I don't think those guys are – Tyler Morris is better than those players. And so they clearly wanted him. But as we also told our listeners back during the, the early parts of the spring is 
they had not put in the work, especially the receiver coach position, to be in a place where I felt comfortable that they were a legitimate player for him. Now, Tommy Reese, I think, did a great job, and I think we I think we talked about this last week. Tommy Reese did a great job of getting Notre Dame back in this mix to the point where there were a lot of people predicting Notre Dame. I was hesitant to do that because of this, because at the end of the day, no matter how much work your offensive coordinator does, your receivers coach still has to do his job and, and hold up his end of the bargain. And I just don't think the coach Alexander did that here. The fact that Tyler Morris and Caleb Brown are both Chicago kids, both private school, Chicago kids, both very good students. And the odds are very strong. You're going to get neither of them to Jason's point is my issue. Uh, and, it's one thing to lose a kid to Ohio State, which I still don't think should happen to Chicago kids or maybe in Oklahoma, but to lose a kid to Michigan, the dumpster fire that is the Michigan Wolverine offense right now, that's not good. And, and yeah, I get it. His quarterback played there, but I mean, we see kids that go to play school, play with their quarterback. And his quarterback left. I mean, his quarterback went to IMG, so they didn't even play together last year because, you know, JJ McCarthy went down to Florida to IMG. So, this is a loss from the standpoint of it is a guy that Notre Dame wanted. It was a guy that Notre Dame had decided, right or wrong, was the top player for sort of that slot, you know, position. That's that's where it was a loss. Now, having said that, and and Jason, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So we established it's a loss in the traditional sense because Notre Dame wanted him, they didn't get him. They put in the work, the offensive coordinator put in a lot of work, and they didn't get him. It's a loss in that regards. And, you know, injuries or whatever, the fact is they wanted him, okay? Sometimes, however, in recruiting, it works out to where you've identified a player that you want and you don't get him and you have to settle for someone else. Sometimes that someone else can be better than the guy that you wanted. My concern with the offense, and I'm going to be honest about this, my concern with the offense is, is that far too often this staff seems to be settling for players that they think they can get that are good players and not pushing for guys that I think can be even better players. Sometimes when you miss a kid like this, it forces you to now have to regroup and go after other players and guys that I think are better. And and a guy that, you know, Michael Scheller says this, he wants the young guy from Virginia, Xavion Bradshaw. And to me, that's where I'm at. If you miss on Tyler Morris, and that means you have to ramp up your recruiting efforts on Xavion Bradshaw, and you end up signing Xavion Bradshaw, two things are going to be true. One, it's not going to help you from a recruiting ranking standpoint because Xavion Bradshaw is a three-star. Two, you're going to get a better football player. And so while this is a loss, it's it's kind of like what happened last year with, with Will Shipley. So look, it's a loss. You you identified Will Shipley as your best as your top back, and and he was very good. But what I care more about on signing day is: did you get the guy you wanted? Okay, yes or no. But did you add necessary talent to your team? And to me, that's the key. And so yeah, they didn't get Will Shipley, but what they got was two really talented backs in Logan Diggs and Aldrich Estime. So at the end of the day, yes, they lost this. So you could evaluate and negatively grade their strategy. But at the end of the day, they got really good players, guys that I think move the needle for this football team. There's still an opportunity for that. 
And um, that's where they've got to be. They have to go out and get the top players. Now you've lost Tyler Morris. You the the sort of the um uh the the I'm trying to say this not disrespectfully to Tyler Morris because again he's a good to me Tyler Morris is a top 200 top 250 football player. Savion Bradshaw is a top 100 player, but he's going to need more work. And I think they were kind of going for the easier option, the low the local kid, the private school kid. And now that you've lost him, you're now forced to go after the guys that you should have been going after uh, the 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 first point. So, um. That's to me sort of where I'm at with this is yes, they lost a player, but there's still an opportunity for them to go out and get an even better player. And that's where I'm at. So if if they get Xavion Bratch on this class, then I don't really care that they lost Tyler Morris because Xavion Bratch is a better player. I have my receiver rankings. I'm going to start releasing those tomorrow. I have my, my big board. I'm going to keep Tyler Morris on the big board from a ranking standpoint, because I don't take guys off that are decommitted because I want people to see this is how I ranked them before Tyler Morris came out. And Xavion Bradshaw is ahead of him. There's no question. Caleb Brown is ahead of him. So in my opinion, you need to go out and get one of those two players. Now, right now, there's a lot of work to be done. They have dropped the ball on Caleb Brown's recruitment, but it's still early. Go fix it. You get Xavion Bradshaw. Those are the things that you need to do for that slot position. And uh, Nick says, you know, are two of three of Bradshaw, Merriweather, and Millions uh, just gets at this point? Or, I think you meant must gets at this point. Yes, he did mean that. Uh, yes, you got to get two of those three guys. No question. But I would, I, Nick, I would go even further in that you have to get Bradshaw or Caleb Brown. And, and I'm going to stick with Bradshaw because he's more realistic. But to me, those are two top 100 players. Legit. I don't care about recruiting rankings and all that other stuff. I'm looking at the film. If Xavion Bradshaw ends up in this class and they don't get Tyler Morris, it's going to look like a miss for Notre Dame from a recruiting ranking standpoint, but I'm telling you, they will have gotten a better player. And, and to me, that's a key. And the reason I say him above the others, it's not so much that he's a necessarily a better player than Merriweather and Williams. It's one of two things. Number one is Merriweather, Williams, and then Amorian Walker are all outside, pure outside receivers. What Notre Dame needs more of are those guys that can play the slot, can play at the field, but those guys can make plays after the catch, those guys that can turn a screen into a home run, those guys that can work on the crossing routes. He is in a different, different, completely different place than those two guys from a, a, a skill set and a fit standpoint. Doesn't make him better or worse. They're just different players. And they need that skill set in this class. So to me, you've got to get Bradshaw. And then you got to get one of those two players that you mentioned, Tobias Merriweather or CJ Williams. You give me one of those two guys, and somebody else mentioned Andre Green Jr. I would throw Andre in that conversation. Andre is part of that discussion for me, but he is he is right now not as good of an option. So to me, if you get Xavion Bradshaw and one of Tobias Merriweather or CJ Williams, I'm feeling great about the receiver situation when you combine it with. The class I got last year with Lorenzo Styles, Tio Colsey, Jade Thomas. The class you got the year before with Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, assuming those guys are still at Notre Dame. Now, all of a sudden, you've strung together three really good classes in a row, but you've also added a lot of versatility within your skill set, which offensively can have the same impact of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the show uh, when we when we talked, when we, we went over that. So, um, Audrey... Don't don't you think that those receivers could develop those traits if they were coached correctly? Audrey, can you tell me which receivers are you referring to? I'm just trying to figure out what 
what I said that you're uh, specifically responding to. So if you could just follow up with, let me know which guys you're, you're asking about, uh, I'll be able to answer that. So JJ Goodway asks, what is your ideal realistic receiver class? I just said it. I mean, that to me, that would be the ideal thing. It would be Xavion Brett. And again, you asked this before I answered it. So I'm just, I'm not saying that you didn't hear me, but it's give me Xavion Bradshaw. And if you could get Caleb Brown, then obviously he'd be part of that conversation too, but I don't, that's not realistic to me. If you get Xavion Bradshaw and then one of Tobias Merriweather, CJ Williams, then I'm I'm ecstatic. And then you have a guy like Amorian Walker, who y'all know I'm not high on, but there's some tools to work with there. And when you've recruited the way that you have in past years, you can take a flyer on an Amorian Walker, assuming you get Bradshaw and either Williams or Merriweather. If you get, you know, even if you get Bradshaw, but then you get like a Nicholas Anderson, who's a good solid football player, but he's not a needle mover for me. He's not a, a guy that is better than what you already have. He's just a good solid football player. That to me is a, is if, if those to me, it was you either take Walker or Anderson. I would have waited for Anderson. That's just me, but they didn't do that. You can't take him and you can't take Walker and Anderson unless you're going to take four. And I don't think Notre Dame's in a position right now where they could take four. Now, maybe they have some guys leave and some spots open up. But right now, I think three is the number. And it needs to be Bradshaw and either one of whether Merriweather or Williams. Yeah, one of those two guys, I'm very happy with that receiver core. Uh, I, I would, I'd feel really good about that. And, I would, and, and the other thing, too, is I'd feel really good about Tommy Reese as a recruiter because that receiver class ain't happening if Tommy Reese doesn't step up and, and really crush it, because I don't think Coach Alexander is at the point um, that you're at. So here's Audrey. So I'm, I'm just saying in general, you're saying you need versatile playmakers, but isn't part of the problem that they aren't being coached to be productive. I mean, that's true to a degree, but but my point is, if you, if you give Tobias Merriweather the best receivers coach in the country, you're not lining him up on the slot, and he's not going to do the things that Xavion Bradshaw can do. They're just different athletes. Tobias is 6'4". He's a long strider. He is an outside player. It's kind of like Michael Floyd was a phenomenal player, but you weren't going to ask Michael Floyd to do all the things that you asked Golden Tate to do and vice versa or Will Fuller. And that's kind of where I'm coming from is I personally, as a receivers coach, like different skills. Now, my job as a receivers coach was to make sure all my receivers knew the concepts. We can line them up at all positions. They knew the technique. They knew how to get in their stance. They knew how to get out of their stance. They knew how to attack leverage. They knew how to properly stem. They knew their, the proper footwork. They knew the proper footwork on how to get out of speed cuts, how to get out of you know, stop cuts, how to, how to, how to execute vertical cuts, uh, how to handle cuts out of, against man, how to handle cuts against zone. You teach them all those things, but within that offense – you're going to ask guys to do certain things that they're better at than other players, even if they're coached extremely well. And that's my point, Audrey, is that I still want a versatile skill set because there are things Xavion Bradshaw is going to do on a football field that Tobias Merriweather can't do. He just, he can't. It's a different skill set. There are things Tobias Merriweather can do on a football field that Xavion Bradshaw couldn't dream of doing because one guy's 6'4 with incredibly long arms and the other guy's 5'11, six feet tall. And so that's where I'm coming from is I just want to see that versatility of skill. I don't want just two giants outside. Give me a couple giants, but then mix it up with different personnel and different groupings. So um, that to me is, is where I would, where I would be. So I, ho I hope that answers your question. 
in regards to the receiver room. I, I just want to see that versatility of skill. And then, yes, Audrey, you coach them up to be able to do everything, but even then you're going to play to their strengths. And some guys have different strengths than other guys, and that's what I'm referring to. Um, Roderick Blackman says, Coach Kelly is not utilizing the slot to make Notre Dame an attractive place to slot receivers. I agree with that. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I will say this. I think that could change this year. I'm hoping that changes because I'm expecting Avery Davis to have a really productive year. But but even like when they had Chris Fink, and Chris Fink in 2018 was very productive. He had over 400 ca- 440 catches and 500 yards receiving, but he was never like the focal point. He was never like taking a game over. He was always a complimentary piece. Even with Avery Davis this year, he was a complimentary piece. Uh, so, so I do think that that there's a lot to your point. I just think it could change. Your 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 point, Roger, is 100 right. I'm looking forward and thinking that if they're doing the things I hope they're doing, that could change because between Avery Davis and Lawrence Keys, there's some guys that could do some major damage in the slot this year. A couple other questions, and then we're I'm going to get rolling here. Um, here's a question about where was it? Okay, Braden Steele asks. Overall thoughts in the quarterback room, Pine looks solid, but Cone just looks so good throwing the ball. I, look, I'm going to say this about, about the quarterback room and about the quarterback position in general. I was talking with a friend of mine last night, and, and he likes to call and, and talk late at night, and we talk about football and these kind of things. And we were talking about the offensive line and um, you know, just kind of what he thought and just some different things he saw and, and just different things that he was seeing. And he said – you know, I'm worried about the offensive line and quarterback. And I said, honestly, the only position I'm worried about on offense is offensive line. He goes, really? He goes, so you're that confident in Jack Cohen? And I said, well, yes, but that's not the only reason. Honestly, I'm confident in whoever starts at quarterback. If if Drew Pine beats out Jack Cohen, I'm confident that the quarterback play is going to be really good. I'm confident in Jack Cohn. I'm, if Tyler Buckner just between now and the and the time they play the first the first game against Florida, I think what September fifth. If between now and then Tyler Buckner starts blowing up and Tyler Buckner starts, okay, great. The quarterback room now is healthy. It's as healthy as it really was, you know, going back to the Malik Zaire, Deshaun Kaiser, Brandon Wimbush days when you really had a loaded quarterback room from a skill standpoint. Now that that room had some leadership issues with one of those guys two of the others were good leaders but one of those guys was not I'm not concerned about that with this quarterback room I think there's character and leadership with all these guys so it's just not a it's just not a position that I'm concerned about now I'm more concerned about how those quarterbacks are utilized than I am with the quarterbacks and that's kind of been an issue I've had for a little while now uh here's another question about the offense Jojo Pineda says uh appreciate you uh first time chat post Let's get it going, man. Do some more. Why hasn't Coach Reese used more RPO concepts or something like it, and why use it now rather than before? I think before, honestly, it's it wasn't Tommy Reese. I don't think I don't think it was Tommy Reese's decision not to use RPOs. I think it was a Brian Kelly decision. I think that's where it's at. Brian Kelly just Coach Kelly's been a little slow to a- adapt to that part of the offense. I don't think he felt it fit what they were trying to do with the controlling the run game. Whereas I think if it was up to Coach Reese and Coach Taylor, we'd see a lot more of those things. I, I truly believe that. I have no evidence for that. Just, I mean, I've, I've heard some things about what Coach Reese wants to do uh, that makes me think that if he had his way, he would be doing it. He would have done it more often. But when you're 28 years old and you're in your first year as an offensive coordinator, you're not going to walk into the head coach's office 
a guy that's been a head coach longer than you've been born, you know, a guy that, that won national titles when, you know, you were just a kid. I mean, Tommy Reese was a freshman in Notre Dame in 2010. Brian Kelly won a title in 2002. What was Tommy in middle school, elementary school at that time? You know, so and say, hey, we're doing this. No, you you gotta you gotta earn your way, and you've gotta eventually be able to talk him into it. I believe to a degree they've been able to get that done, and that's why we're gonna see more of those things. And and I also think too that the skill set is different. And Coach Kelly recognizes that we don't have a Javon McKinley and a Ben Skoranek on this team, and we don't have the offensive line that we had last year. This is you know, looking at from his perspective when I say we. So we, we've if we're going to utilize Braden Lindsey and Lawrence Keys and and Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts and Avery Davis and our running backs, then that has to be a part of what we're doing. So I do think there's something of we're going to fit it to the skill set. Whereas last year, I don't think he fit the he I don't think he believed the fill, the skill set fit running a lot of RPOs. I would disagree with that, but I I understand where he was coming from to a degree. I just think it was an incorrect decision. All right, couple last questions. Uh, JJ Goodway, do you feel good about how Buckner's throwing motion has progressed through spring ball? Uh, so I feel good that it, it, it's not that as bad as it was in the summer, but I, I've always said I don't really care about throwing motion. I care about the result. Does the ball get there? Does it get there on a, a, a the correct plane? Does it get there with the right timing? Does it get there accurately? I've seen guys throw the ball in all types of different ways and be effective. And, you know, I just – I love I loved watching Steve Spurrier coaching tapes when he was at Florida. I couldn't throw that way. It just didn't work for me. So you, you have to find something you're comfortable with. I care about the result. If the result is good, then, then I don't care. And we just don't know enough of what Tyler's done. But I'll say this. There's been a couple times where Tyler Stone, I think it was this last Saturday practice. These are all bleeding together to me, JJ. I apologize. But he threw an outcut. I, th- I think it was to Braden Lindsay. He threw an outcut. And if you go back and watch that video, that ball is spinning tight. I mean, real tight. And it was it just cut through the air. That was encouraging to see because that's the Tyler Buckner that we, we've come to know and love. And he's throwing a couple deep balls where it's just the same. It just It's jumping out of his hand, and it's spinning correctly. What I didn't like about what I saw from him at the Elite 11 is the ball was not jumping out of his hand at all. And it wasn't spinning tight. And those two things usually go together. I'm seeing the ball jump out of his hand in these clips. Now it's not always accurate, and he's still again he's a freshman. But I, I think that um, um, I, I like where he's at. So this is a good question. I'm, at, I'm glad you asked this one, Joseph. Uh, I'm not sure if you've already answered, but have you clarified if Devin Moore is being recruited to play cornerback or safety? So I did. So after I think I think it was Tom Loy from Two Four Seven Sports that reported that Notre Dame is recruiting him as a corner. I said, well, I was told he's being recruited as a safety. That is what I was told. I did some digging on this, and essentially it's they're going to give him a shot to play corner. And if he sticks, then that's great. But they also know that he can play safety. Apparently Devin wants a shot at corner. And as they've evaluated more film, they think he's he's good enough to play there. So they're going to recruit him as a corner. For what I think that means for Notre Dame is, I think there's now a better chance that they would, if they can get Devin Moore, that they would take a third corner instead of a third safety knowing he could do that because here's the thing one thing we did talk about with Devin Moore was as a safety that can cover he can play that slot position which you could call a third safety a third corner whatever but the fact is is you need a guy that can cover and Devin can do that so even when I thought he was being recruited as a safety that's a position we talked about I also like him as a middle of the field free safety 
So that's what they're recruiting him as right now is as a corner with the understanding that if he doesn't stick or if there's an opportunity to play sooner at another position, he would move. But they're going to give him an, a legitimate opportunity to play corner. And at this point in time, I don't care. Just get him. Uh, and then you can figure out where to play him. And if he sticks a corner, great. If he doesn't, you move him to safety and he can be a really good uh, a really good football player there. So that thank you for asking that question. I did say that I would look into that. I did look into that, and that's what I have uh, have been told. So, um, so anyway, that is that's where we're at. And uh, D Rock Irish Rivalis, as I as you always say, my friend. Thank you for this. Hit the like button before you exit. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button on your YouTube channel. Also, hit the notification bell, which will tell you if we're going to do an impromptu live stream or we've got a new show out, you'll see it. Um, So make sure you hit that. If you listen via podcast, make sure that you subscribe to Irish Breakdown on whatever podcasting platform you use. Please give us a five-star review. Check out irishbreakdown.com. But as always, we really appreciate you all being with us. I have been touched and moved by just the outpouring of love and appreciation and respect that Lou Samoji has received from all of you on Twitter. I've gotten a ton of emails, a a ton of DMs of people just expressing their remorse and sympathy, but also just sharing how Lou touched them. And everyone's got a Lou Samoji story. You know, I met him here or I read this and I just, you know, and it's like there's so many people that didn't know Lou personally that felt like they knew Lou because uh, they've read him for so long and just the kind of personality he has and and as it's just, it's been exciting to see and fun to see. And, and I just love the fact that such an awesome person is being remembered as being an awesome person, not just an awesome writer as the preeminent historian of Notre Dame football, which he is. Those are all great, but he's also being remembered as just an incredibly amazing man. And that's, that's really who, who Lou was. And I'm glad that so many people got a chance to experience that. So thank you all for being with us today. We are probably going to go live tomorrow. Vince and I are still hammering out what our, topics are going to be and of course we'll be here on friday uh, at one o'clock with our mail friday free for all mailbag i think what we might do is stick to offense a little bit on friday just with a lot of the questions and our discussions uh but of course as always we'll keep it open to what people want to discuss unless we have some new topics coming up so anyway uh we yes this is a great way to end it right there that's the best way to end the show today so we love lou and um there's no doubt about it so thank everybody for being with us i've enjoyed it this has been fun and we'll talk to you all again very very soon
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.